0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Elgin, Illinois, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Elgin, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Elgin. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and today we have the last class in the series we're doing on how to improve cash flow. Today, we're going to be covering the improving cash flow on rental properties by improving the property itself. Up to this point, we've done the 88 strategies to improve cash flow. We've talked about improving cash flow when you're searching for properties, which was a pretty good list of ways to kind of like Improve cash flow while you're out looking at things and how to optimize that through selection and searching. We did a whole big section, the largest section actually, on how to improve cash flow when you're doing your financing. So, if you uh, and that's probably one of the most effective, largest list of things that you can do uh, to improve your cash flow. And so, we have a, a, a massive section on that, which we've already covered. We're not going to cover that today. So, go watch the old class on that one. And then we've done uh, an entire class on changing your strategy, which, even though it's a relatively small list, in some ways that gives you some very large increases in cash flow. So by changing what strategy you're using, a lot of times you can get massively more cash flow on a property. And so, definitely go watch that class if you want to consider improving cash flow by changing what strategy you're using in your real estate investing. Today, we're going over improving property, and we've gone over separate classes on the marketing how to improve cash flow when you're marketing your property to rent. We had a whole section on improving cash flow when you own the property, the things you do as an owner to improve your cash flow. And then we had a whole section on ways to improve cash flow when you're renting the property as a landlord. And so we've kind of broken this up into, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different sections Today is the last section that we're going to cover because we've covered all the other ones already. We've covered all 88 strategies to improve your cash flow. And so let's jump into it. So improving property. I've broken this down into kind of six things. And I think there is a little bit of overlap between some of these, but here they are. You could subdivide the property. You can upgrade the property. You could add solar to the property. You could provide a furnished rental. You can convert the property, or you could charge improvement rent. Okay. So let's go over what each one of this subdivide. So can I subdivide? And I'm using that kind of in quotes because it's, it's a really informal use of that word, but can I subdivide my property into multiple units to increase rent? And this is not in my mind, the same as necessarily converting it to a full on legally conforming duplex or triplex or fourplex or fiveplex or sixplex or whatever you're doing. In my mind, this is sort of like informally grouping it this way you know not necessarily it's not that you're not complying with zoning laws but you're using it like a roommate would but you're having a lot of separation in the in the property itself the most common example of this is sometimes you walk up to a property and it's a single family home it is definitely not a duplex it is not zoned duplex it, it would not it would not pass as being zoned duplex but you walk up to the property and you're like This is a duplex. Uh, You know, the upstairs unit, for lack of a better way to describe it, is a completely self-sufficient rental unit where you have, you know, two bedrooms and a kitchen and living room and everything else. But there's like a door that normally goes to the downstairs. That's like a solid core, almost like indoor outdoor door. It's like a, a hardcore divider between the upstairs and the downstairs. And then when you finally open that door and you go downstairs, there's a separate apartment downstairs. There's like a separate bathroom, there's a separate bedroom, there's a separate living room. There may not be a full-on kitchen. A lot of times, this is how they get around the zoning issue. They'll have like, you know, what looks like an eating area. It's almost like a bar. But the bar has a slightly larger than a bar would normally have for a refrigerator, like a a good-sized refrigerator. And they have a sink, and they... May or may not have like a hot plate, not necessarily like a stove or a stovetop or an oven, but they have like a way to heat up food, a microwave, and maybe like a a plug-in portable hot plate for you to be able to heat stuff up. So... But you, you look down there and you're like, look, this is a separate unit, right? Like this, this looks and feels like a separate unit. And maybe even in a lot of cases they do, they have a separate outdoor entrance. Like there's a, there's a back door to the property, either a sliding glass door and it kind of walks out to a walkout, you know, like it's like a walkout basement, or it's an underground unit and it has like the stairs going up leading to the driveway. You know, you'll see these units where they look like duplexes. They're not duplexes, right? Because, you know, in some markets, and it varies a little bit market to market, there are rules about what is defining a duplex. You know, they have to have separate heating units, they have to have separate AC units they can't be connected that way. Um, You know, there has to be uh, separate mailing addresses. And so this is not a duplex, but you can sort of subdivide the property. So some properties are really well set up for this to begin with. Other ones are not so easy, right? It's like you walk into a property and it's a bi level where you walk in, you're on a landing and there's an upstairs and downstairs. You can go you know, right to go downstairs and left to go upstairs. And I've seen some people Go ahead and do a little bit of work to that kind of entryway where then once you walk into the property and you're on that landing, now there's actually a door that you have to open to go upstairs, and there's a door that you have to open in order to go downstairs. And it really is like having two separate units. Now, are you going to rent these to two different kind of like, I don't know, families that have that think they're getting their own unit with their own address. Um, and you know, they think that they're gonna be able to control the, the heating or the cooling because they both have thermostats. No. This is like a way for you to increase your rent, but they are very well separated roommates. That's a good way to describe it. These This is a roommate situation, and you could have one unit that has, you, know, two roommates and another unit that has, you know one or two roommates. So you can have like more than one roommate kind of sharing one of the units, especially if they're dating or it's a family or something like that. Um, but this is technically not, zoned to duplex not zoned to triplex and so you need to comply with whatever the roommate laws are the roommate laws are for zoning and you got to realize that they are not separate units they don't have their own separate heat controls in a lot of cases although sometimes they do but that's the that's the big issue okay so you could go and subdivide this and do you think you could get more for a kind of like standalone mother-in-law quarter ish separate downstairs with everything kind of like separated out and they really don't even have to interact with the person upstairs or the person's upstairs if they were living in the downstairs unit. Do you think you can get a premium on rent for something like that versus getting, you know, a property where they're sharing a bedroom, where they have a bedroom rather, and they're sharing like a common living area and a common kitchen? You bet. And that's one of the ways you can improve cash flow on your rental properties is you could find one of these properties where it feels like a duplex, even though it's not. And you can get single family home financing, which I think in a lot of cases is advantageous. You know, if you're especially if you're buying your second or third property and you've already used up your FHA or your VA loan, which is what we a lot of times use when we're buying formal, formally zoned, completely compliant duplexes, triplexes, or fourplexes. But in this case, it's a single family home that looks and feels like a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex, but it's really a single family home. And so you can go get these, you know, 5% down conventional loans on them. Whereas if it really was a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, you could not get a 5% down conventional loan on them. So there is kind of an interesting benefit to doing this this way. Now, realize when you go and sell it, you can't sell it as a duplex or a triplex, right? Because it's technically not zoned that way. You'd have to tell them, look, this is a non-conforming property that feels like a duplex, even though it's not. And if you wanted to go and live here and kind of like unseparate these You might have a little bit of work to do, but if you have a, if you're a roommate situation or, you know, it's a, you know, your mother-in-law or your mother wants to live downstairs, your father or father-in-law wants to live downstairs or your mother and father-in-law or whatever it is. and, And you kind of like want to live in the upstairs and they live downstairs or you and your brother or you and your sister or whatever it is, this could be an ideal situation where it feels like you have separate units, although it's a single family home and it's zoned as a single family home. Okay. So that's what I call subdividing. Next one, upgrade the property. You know, can I improve the landscaping, the curb appeal to get higher rents? Sometimes that's all it takes, right? The difference between, this is like the proverbial, don't judge a book by the cover. Don't, don't Don't judge a book by its cover. There's a reason that saying exists is that people judge a property by its exterior. And so can you improve the landscaping, improve the curb appeal to get higher rent? Can you paint the property? Can you add or improve shutters? Can you do lawn care? Can you upgrade the mailbox from the ratty 1970s thing that's rusting to something that's you know modern and new? Can you put property address numbers? Can you upgrade the lighting on the outside? So all these like little things that you can do. It's a one-time investment that may be able to, it may be the difference between you getting, you know, no one wanting to rent at the higher price that you start at, because you know, we're starting you know 60 to 90 days before the property is vacant ideally, unless you're just acquiring the property, but you're starting 60, 90 days ahead of time in, and you're testing rent high and you're coming down slowly as you get closer and closer to your deadline until you find out what rent is. Well, if the property looks kind of ratty and tired on the outside, you might not be getting people biting on the higher prices. Whereas if you do all the upgrades you're supposed to do and the property looks great from the outside and you upgrade it, you know this could be a chance for you to get someone at that higher rent. Okay. And this could also be folks buying properties to do like more significant value add or like more of a a burr type strategy where you're buying the property, you're doing a bunch of rehab on the property, you're renting it out, you're refinancing, and you're repeating the process. I mean, this could be a, a variation on that. I've kind of focused in on, I don't know, light stuff that you could do to upgrade the property, but it could be major stuff too. You know, a lot of times with the major stuff, it's capital improvements. And, you know, even though we, you know, upgrade something, you know, it might cost us 20 grand to do the big stuff. And you might not get 20 grand worth of extra rent in the short term, okay? But upgrading little things can make a big difference. And it can get you enough rent to to, uh, support doing it, okay? All right, so that's upgrading the property. Adding solar. You know, when I made my initial list, I had a lot of like, you know, the really easy ones. But then I started adding like, you know, anything somebody would tell me that could improve rent. I was like, okay, you know, let's go ahead and add that so that we could be comprehensive and so that we wouldn't miss out on a way that you could possibly improve your income on the property. But as time goes on, some of these things become better and important and we use them a lot more and some of them become ones that we don't use nearly as much. I think solar might be falling more into the, we don't use it as much. And I think there's a couple of reasons why. I do think you can add solar to a property and you could charge a a premium on your rent because there's no electric bill. I think you need to be careful because I think there may be some laws and also there may be laws coming where you may be in this gray area if you start charging them separately for utilities. You start looking like someone who is charging someone for utilities separately, I think you're in this gray area. And so if you are going to charge separately for utilities, I think you should go talk to an attorney in your local area and make sure that you are following all the local laws and regulations doing that. But if you happen to have solar panels on your property, can you get, you know, rent is a range, right? Rent is not an exact number. It's not like, oh, this is exactly $2,112.43 $2,112.43 for rent on this property. That's what you're going to get every single time you put it on the market. I don't think it works that way. I think you you go out there and you're like, look, you know, rent on this is probably going to be somewhere between, you know, 1900 if we do it during a, a kind of like a bad time of year and we don't do a good job marketing, we don't do a good job exposing the property, um, you know, to maybe... 2200, if we just happen to hit the right time of year, We, we kind of like do the marketing we're supposed to do. The property shows really, really well. We're great at our sales skills. You know, we're really good on the phone. We're really good answering questions. We're really good getting people to come look at the property. The property shows really great. So I think there's this range. And so when you add solar to a property, I think you have a chance to really push up the range a little bit, and more likely get to the top of the range, especially if you have the sales skill to show somebody why having solar on your property is a major benefit and how it can save them money. So they may be comparing your property to one that's $100 or whatever less, but if you have solar on your property, you can tell them, look, you know, you're not going to have an electric bill on this, or you're not likely to have an electric bill as long as you don't go over the usage you have on this thing. And so that's included. And so you got to really kind of, you know, give some value to that. And that's why this property is probably, you know, a little bit higher than some of the other ones you're comparing at the same price range. Okay. So, solar, be careful, but this is a possible way for you to kind of improve your rent range, to improve where you are in the rent range. And maybe it also allows you to rent the property a little bit faster. Maybe, uh, you know, someone's looking at two properties, one of them has solar, one of them doesn't, you know, they're both similarly priced. Yours probably goes first is the guess. All right furnished rental. So can I rent the property furnished to get more rent? There are some folks that are looking for furnished rental. They don't want to go buy furniture. Maybe they're in a situation where they're only going to be here for six months or a year or two years and they don't want to go. Maybe they have another property, another part. Maybe they're like traveling and they spend part of their time in one market and they spend another time, another, and they don't want to go buy all the furniture and all the things they need in order to get a house up and running. And they're willing to pay a premium for that. And so you could actually get higher rent by furnishing a property to get more rent. And, and this is often associated with kind of like changing your strategy. For example, changing your strategy from a you know year-long lease to a short-term rental. We see this a lot in those where when you're doing short-term rentals, they expect them to come furnished. They expect there to be kitchen supplies in the, in the kitchen and you know, bathroom supplies and shampoo and stuff like that. It's more like lodging than it is, you know, like short-term hotel-like. Lodging. That's, that's I guess that's how I describe it. But but basically you could change your strategy and do this. But you don't have to, you could do like long-term rentals that are furnished. It doesn't have to be you know going to short-term rentals or medium-term rentals, but it it is often associated with that. Okay. So that's another way to increase your increase your rent on property and improve income to be able to get higher rent. All right. So before we talked about kind of like what I called subdividing, like informally separating out parts of the property in order to make it feel more like a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. But sometimes you can like legitimately, legally, completely change, convert a property to a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. There is the ability for you to, you know, the the lot is zoned for duplex, triplex, fourplexes, and you decide to say, hey, look, I'm just going to do this officially and change it to be a duplex, triplex, or fourplex so that I can rent this out to separate people. I can have separate addresses. I can have separate heating units, separate air conditioning. You know, All the different things are done right, legally, zoned correctly, and doing that. And so this is the full conversion. Can I convert my property to a duplex, triplex, fourplex, or more? And sometimes this is easy as the property's really set up for it. Other times it, it can be cost prohibitive, And impossible from a zoning licensing perspective. So you got to be careful. But sometimes it's just harder to do. It costs more. It's more work, more labor. And you got to go through approval processes and all that stuff. So just be careful. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not. Be careful of zoning laws and check with your city and county before doing the work. Do not assume that you can just convert any property you want to a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. There are laws set in place to prevent this. Okay, So be careful. Changing the characteristics of a property this way can also impact the type of loans and therefore loan to value that you can get on the property. And furthermore, it can impact who are your buyers when you sell. If you have a single family home that you've sort of the subdivide one, the one I covered first, where you've kind of converted it to more of a roommate situation that has a lot of separation, that's still a single family home. And you can convert it back easily, relatively easily, to be a single-family home. And so you have the whole pool of buyers who are looking for single-family homes when you go to sell. And there usually is a very large pool of those people looking for single-family homes. When you convert it officially to a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, you narrow your pool down. In some markets, it may be bigger, but I would say the overwhelming majority of the time, almost without exception. The pool of people that are looking for a duplex, triplex, or fourplex is going to be a smaller pool than the people looking for a single family home. You have fewer people looking for that. And the financing for the duplex, triplex, or fourplex is harder, less common than the ones for the single family homes. So once someone uses that FHA loan to buy their first duplex, triplex, or fourplex, it's really hard for them to get a second one. There's some really bizarre exceptions, but it's very difficult to do. Otherwise, you need to do a VA low in order to buy it with little or nothing down. Otherwise, you got to put more down. Now, you could buy a single family home with 3% down. You can buy it with 0% down. You know, the USDA VA ones. You can buy it with 3% down if it's your first single family home. You can do a lot of 5% down ones. But if you're trying to do this duplex, triplex, fourplex sort of thing, then you're probably looking at FHA or VA financing or putting at least 25% down to buy these. So it changes the financing, which may be worse for you when you go to sell, if you go to sell. If you never sell, not a big deal, okay? All right, improvement rent. Sometimes you'll have a tenant, they will show up at the property and they'll be like, oh, this property is great. The challenge is it's not fully fenced in. Maybe it's not fenced at all, but in some cases it's like, you know, the two neighbors have fences and you just don't have a fence on one of the sides, okay? which is pretty common in some neighborhoods. And they're like, you know, the problem is, I thought it was fully fenced in because some of the pictures they showed the fence. So I didn't think this was going to be an issue, but I've got a dog or two dogs. And uh, I told you about those on the phone. And I'm concerned because I want to be able to let them out in the backyard and not have to worry about them running away. And you're like, okay. Um, I know you really, really want to fence. The rent we had before was the price without the fence, you know, with, with the current situation, that was what it was, but I would be willing to go ahead and put in a fence, but I would need to charge you extra. I would need to charge you, you know, for lack of a better term, fence rent in order to fence in this last side or put a fence around the whole property. And some tenants would be like, oh, that would be great. I would be willing to pay Whatever it is, fifty dollars, hundred dollars more per month for you to put the fence around the backyard, or two hundred dollars a month, whatever you can negotiate uh, to help offset the cost for doing that. And you know this may also occur sometimes with like you know I really love this, but I hate the green carpet, and the carpet's you know a couple tenant cycles old, so it's not like new, but it's not something you you expect to be able to get at least one more tenant out of it before it needed to be replaced. But they're like, look, I can't move in with this carpet like this, and you're like, okay, well you know, the rents that we had that was priced with the current carpet. If you really want new carpet, you know, we could actually put in new carpet, but uh, that would cost whatever it is, $200 more per month for us to go put in that new carpet. And they may be willing to pay that. So you could charge improvement rent, fence rent, new carpet rent, you know, something else that the tenant desires you install for a fee. Okay. Now you may not, you may not be able to get the full cost of the upgrade. You may not be able to say, look, it's costing me $10,000 to get a fence installed on all four sides here. And uh, I'm not going to be able to divide $10,000 by 12 months and get the full amount. Even though they may tell you, look, we're going to be here for three years. And you're like, okay, well, you know, 10000 divided by 36 months, you know, that's going to be whatever that is, $300 a month. Um, and they're like, yeah, we're not paying $300 a month. So you may not be able to get the tenant to pay the full cost of the upgrade. But with certain items, not all the items, but with certain items, they have a reasonable enough lifespan that you may be able to get higher rent in the future to help offset this cost as well. For example, the fence. In some cases, a fence does give you a marketing advantage of having people with pets, and you may be able to get a slightly higher rent than you would normally. And so they, the tenants that are currently there in front of you, may be able to offset some of the expense of the fence. And then the fact that you're going to be able to get higher rents in the future for the next, whatever it is, 10 years or 15 years for the lifespan of the fence, you may be able to offset the cost and make a profit on that. Some things like carpet might not be able to charge enough to justify it. Some things like a fence, you might be able to. So you got to kind of work out the math on doing this, which leads me into my next thing, which is calculating your return on investment. So I did a class. It's on the podcast. It's on the uh, website and podcast. You can go read, let to it, but it's called when to do upgrades with a value add rental property. And I walk people through how to do the calculation in order to figure out what your return is on the investment you make in order to see if it's worthwhile doing that. And I include a spreadsheet to help you do the math, but you want to be able to determine, look, I'm going to go spend an extra $5,000 or $10,000 in order to do an improvement on a property. You want to look and see how much money am I putting out? How much money am I getting back over what time period? And when do I make all my money back? And then how much profit do I make? And then what is the overall return on that money that I invested to see if it makes sense for you to do this extra investment? You know, Sometimes you have to do it, right? The, the kitchen sink is just not working anymore, and you have to do the upgrade. So that just becomes a capital improvement in that way. But sometimes you have a choice. And that's what we're talking about when we look at choosing these kind of returns that you can get by doing upgrades on properties the basic idea i'll kind of like give you the the very short version of class it is you're doing an internal rate of return calculation over the lifespan of the upgrade that you're making to determine how much you're putting out at the very beginning and then how much you're making over time on that on that thing for the lifespan of the actual upgrade you did so carpet's going to last you x number of years you want to see how much you spent on the carpet to do the upgrade how much extra money you're gonna make on doing that carpet upgrade. And then when the carpet actually is completely, its lifespan is exhausted, it dies, it's, it's used up, then how much money did you make and what was your return on making that investment? And in some cases on certain rental properties, these can be very profitable, like mini investments in your, in your property, right? Like you go and you put up 10K and you're making whatever it is, you know, 20% return on your money each year. And in other cases, It's like hardly worth doing at all. You're really just doing it to kind of maintain the property and to move forward and to make the other return. And you may be not even making money on it. It may be sort of like lost in the other parts of the return that you're getting. So you need to go do that calculation, in my opinion. I mean, you don't have to, but it's, it's a helpful tool for thinking about that. All right. So in conclusion, optimizing cash flow is really about maximizing the income you can get on your property and minimizing any expenses. When we're talking about doing these improvements to the property, most times we're talking about maximizing the income. Although you can make a case that some improvements you would make on a property would minimize your expenses. You know, installing certain types of flooring may actually reduce your overall cost and frequency of having to replace the flooring. And so therefore your expenses do get slightly minimized doing that. There are improvements you can make on properties you own that will improve your cash flow overall. That's what this is about. You know, the improvements you can make on properties. It is better, in my opinion, to look at the big picture, look at the whole picture, like the seven different areas we could do this. When you're searching for properties, when you're financing properties, when you're renting out properties, when you're marketing your properties, when you're owning the property, when you can improve the property, like improving your strategy, like all of these different areas, if we take a more holistic approach and we look at all the different ways that we can improve and optimize it at various different stages, that's what it's about. It's about getting the maximum amount of income on a property and minimizing the expenses by also minimizing like how much work you're putting into the deal so that you can get a great return on your investment and you could decide to invest more if that makes sense for you, if that moves you toward your goal of being financially independent. All right, that's all I got for you. Have a great day, everybody. This was the last class in the series on improving cash flow. So you can go now go watch those if you want to, in order if you want to, and kind of get a feel for all the different ways to improve cash flow. Or if you want to reach out to us for assistance and we can help you implement some of these if that's what you desire. But you can do it. You got all the stuff. You've got all the, uh, all the different ways to do it now. It's not like I'm holding anything back from you. All right, that's all I got. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates, cash flow on rental properties in Elgin is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes.